Wow, what an awesome song. Just one touch. We lift his name higher. Praise God. Now, good morning. Welcome to True North Church. Who's had a great week so far? Come on. Someone's had a great week. Now, now let's be honest. Is there anyone here that still this year you haven't been to church? You don't have to put your hand up. It's kind of a joke. Like if I was saying that in October, it would be like, oh, yeah, I should really get to church, but it's week two. So what, what I'm trying to do, I'm really working on my dad jokes, and evidently that's a slow process. I want to make sure that by the time my son fully understands English, I'm going to be right there with him with those jokes. Uh, clearly, I'm not there yet, but that's okay. It's a work in progress like much of life. But uh, you know what? I, I'm so excited. Can I, can I just say again how, how excited I am for Luke and Susie? Did you guys get engaged? So can we give them another round of applause? That's just like so cool. <laughs> Now, now, both of these guys, they, they invest so much into the life of our church in different ways, and we're just so happy for, for both of you. And Luke, good on you, continuing it. Is, is he at the back there somewhere? He's, he's a voice. Yeah, he's there. Thanks, Andreas. Luke, are you, you know, continuing a long tradition of the, the male staff at True North Church, punching above their weight. Good on you, mate. Well, <laughs> most notably in the case of Pastor John, uh, but, but good to see you carrying in that tradition as well. Uh, but God bless you guys, and we really uh, pray every blessing over the, the season ahead at Santa. So cool that you could be here this morning as well. Uh, but, but last week, for, for the start of 2016, we started this brand new series on re-solution, playing off the idea of New Year's resolutions. Now, anyone a fan of New Year's resolutions? So, some, are, some are like, well, if I say yes, is Phil going to embarrass me in a few moments' time? Yeah, be at ease, I'm not going to. So some of us, we kind of like them. Some of us, we kind of don't. But, but what we're trying to do as a church is to, to kind of leverage of, off this theme just a little bit and think about what are some of the spaces that require more of our attention? What are some of the spaces in our lives or maybe in our journeys of faith that require a little bit more of our focus? And so today, we're going to be continuing in that series with a new idea and a new theme, which is refocus. Can, can you guys say that with me? Refocus. Come on. That, that was good. That was pretty strong. Can we try that one more time? Uh, and I'll give you a little counting so we get all in the same way. You, you guys ready? Uh, and on one, on one, all right? Three, two, one. That was good. I saw people not saying, I was about to say someone's name and then I realized how inappropriate that is. Uh, <laughs> So you weren't saying it. No, but we're going to be continuing the series in uh, looking at this idea of refocus. Now, when we think about that word focus, there's kind of two spaces that my mind goes to. One is the, the kind of focus that we might see in an, in an elite athlete that's focused on a particular goal or a particular objective. And that becomes the, the sole thing that captures their attention because they want to hit that goal. And all of us at different times in different seasons have goals like that that command our attention and require our focus. But there's another kind of focus that I want to talk about today and lean more into this idea is the, the kind of focus that's the difference between seeing a picture or an image that's blurred and fuzzy and out of focus or seeing that same picture with complete clarity and the power of the difference between those two. So, so to get things uh, started, I want to show you a blurred image. Can we... Uh, can we get that up on the screen? There you go. Now, now as we look at that image, what, what can we kind of guess? It's really blurred. It's really focused. But it kind of, it looks like a person, yeah? We can say, okay, that's, that's probably a person. Do we think it's male or female? Everyone says male. A any takers on female? I guess, and we'd probably say no, because it looks like there's maybe an outline of a moustache there. Is anyone seeing that? We're seeing a moustache. Who, who thinks moustache? 
Who thinks no moustache? Okay, everyone's pretty sold on the moustache, even though it's blurred. And it's this picture that, that we can look at. But, but as we look at it, it's, it's kind of frustrating at the same time, isn't it? That he's kind of looking at that and it's like, I can kind of see what's going on, but, but there's a limit to the information that it can provide for me. So I'm not going to look at that very long at all because it's blurred, it's focused, it's unfocused, you know, it's, it's not good to look at. But then we see the same image in crystal clear focus, Oh, and, and admittedly, you probably still don't want to look at it. But, uh, but that's, uh, that's a, a picture of me with a, can I, can I just say, a glorious moustache. You know, I've, uh, I've always struggled with facial hair, and I realised a little bit earlier this month that, that I can now grow full handlebars. So look out, Movember 2016. It's going to be fun. All right, let's get that off. We're upsetting people. Uh, so, so here's the thing, that when we see an image in focus, it can bring more to our lives. And, and here's what I want to suggest this morning, is how focused are we in the picture that we see of our faith? Is there a focus to our faith? Can we see it clearly? Now, whenever we talk about this, when it comes to to our Christianity, our understanding of who God is, our our thought about who God is and how we connect in our own lives to God, when we talk about refocusing, it always has to start at the same place. And that place is Jesus. Jesus. That place is Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we see Jesus clearly in focus in the right way, everything about God's Word lines up and makes complete sense. When we see Jesus in a broken way or a fuzzy way, an unclear way, where it's not a clear picture of who He is, all of a sudden, the Bible doesn't make much sense at all. To, to think about this in an extreme way, in an extreme way, if we take God's word and take Jesus completely out of the text, the Bible does not work, does it? But when we see Jesus with crystal clarity and how he fits as the central point of God's word, the cornerstone of God's word, then everything else fits into place. Can I say that this is true of your own life as well? When you try to, to refocus your life of faith, if you get Jesus right, you'll get everything else right. So today I want to lean into this idea of trying to tighten and bring some clarity to the picture of Jesus that we see. Is that okay? Yeah, we're going to look at a great passage of Scripture coming out of Luke chapter 5. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If not, it'll be up on the screens as well. And it's the, the story of Simon Peter. At this point in the, the story, he still goes by the name of Simon before Jesus gives him a new name. And, and throughout this story, Peter's focus on Jesus goes from fuzzy to clear. And we're going to see the impact that it has on his life. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to, you guessed it, Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, let's, let's just take a moment to step into this picture that we see in Scripture right here. So Jesus is teaching a crowd of people God's Word. He's teaching them about God's love and the truth of His Word and His reality in their life. But then such a large crowd begins to gather around Him that He's like, I need a stage. I don't have a stage. I see two boats on the shore. So he goes up to the fishermen that are they're washing their nets. We learn a little bit later after a long night's unsuccessful fishing, mind you. And he says to Simon, I need your boat. I'm going to teach the people from it. And Simon, you could imagine somewhat begrudgingly, he's washing his nets. He's probably pretty grumpy. He's been fishing all night. He hasn't slept and he hasn't caught anything. And now Jesus is saying, I need to borrow your boat so I can teach the people. And so they go out from the shore. Jesus sits down, imagine on the edge of the boat there. Simon's sitting behind him, making sure that the boat, you know, doesn't blow away or topple over. And and could you imagine what Simon's mood might have been like in that moment as Jesus is teaching this crowd about God's word? What do you think Simon would have been like in the boat? He would have been a bit like, oh, come on, Jesus, you've got to wrap this up. You've got to wrap this up. Hopefully no one here this morning is having a similar experience right now. But, but Simon's sitting there in the boat and he's like, oh, how much longer is he going to go for? I've been up all night. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. G-. And then he kind of senses when things are coming to an end, like some of you do on a Sunday. And he kind of senses that, that Jesus is wrapping things up. And he says, yes, he's closing in prayer. This is almost over. And then the story continues. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And then here we hear that response from Simon and that emotion that he was sitting in. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So we've got to understand that the emotion that, that Simon's feeling right now, that he's there in the boat, he's already been delayed from finishing up cleaning his nets and going home so Jesus could speak from his boat. And now it's finally come to the end of that time of teaching and you can imagine like, yes, he's finished. Time to get out of here. And then what does Jesus say? Simon, we're going back into the deep water. You're going to put those nice clean nets back into the water. You haven't caught anything all night, but we're going fishing again. Can you imagine what would be the last thing that Simon would want to do that morning? It'd be go fishing, right? He's been fishing all night. It's been terrible. Hasn't caught anything. He's feeling discouraged about being a fisherman in general. And then Jesus says, we're we're going back out into the deep water. Now, who thinks Simon was excited about that idea? Anyone? Who, Who thinks he was probably a little bit grumpy about that idea? And his experience as a fisherman starts to kick and he says, Jesus, it's just not working right now. We were fishing all night where the conditions were better and we caught nothing. Plus, I am tired. I just want to go home. And there's all of that emotion, all of that frustration. But right there in this moment, two keys in his response. Number one, he says, Master. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because it's you, I will do what you say. 
no matter the, 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 the reality that it makes no sense to me in my mind. It makes no sense to me in my experience. But because it's you and only you, I will do what you say. You know, we talk about that, a clear picture of who Jesus is. There's something right here in the way that Peter begins to see Jesus. And, and I think it's something that we need to begin to wrestle with more again. And it's this idea of refocusing on his lordship. On his lordship. And Simon, he ties in and he says, Master, he recognises that Jesus has a place of authority over his life. Now that's sometimes an uncomfortable thought for us. You know, I was reflecting coming out of Christmas. It, it amazes me that, that over the Christmas season, that, that almost everyone is more open to the idea of Jesus, aren't they? That, that almost everyone's more open to the idea of having a conversation about Christianity or church, that, that, that attendances spike all over our city, all over our country, around the weekends, around Christmas. Because for whatever set of reasons, people feel comfortable with the idea of faith and the idea of Christianity and the idea of Jesus during that particular season. Now, sure, part of that is, is tradition. Part of that is the reality that, that some generations ago, Australia was a Christian nation. Now, it's a post-Christian nation, but in some of those holidays, sure, there's a bit of that tradition that carries on. But I think there's actually more to it than that, and it ties into this idea of the lordship of Jesus. Now, how do we see Jesus at Christmas time, generally? We see him as a little baby. We see him as this adorable, cute little baby. Normally we picture him in a, in a stable with adorable, cute little animals. It's a little sheep and a little cow. Maybe a little cat for, you know, those children's books for cat lovers. They always put a cat in there. Fairly sure there wasn't a cat there. But, but, but it's just this wonderful picture of Jesus wrapped up nicely in a manger. Cute little animals everywhere. There's people coming and giving him gifts. And people have no problem seeing Jesus in that way. You know why I think that is? Because when we look at Jesus as a baby, he's sweet, he's lovely, he's adorable. But he also has no authority. He's a baby. He's vulnerable. He doesn't have any capacity to, to lead or shape my life, to call me to more than what I am. He's just a little baby. So people like that picture of Jesus because he can be contained, because he can be controlled. And more importantly, because a little baby can't control me. Now let's contrast that to the actual reality of who Jesus is. You know, if, you've got a, if you have a faith in your own life, you, you probably see a broader picture of Jesus than, than just who he is at Christmas as a little baby. But perhaps your focus on Christ is limited so that almost like a baby, he's powerless to bring any change in your life. It's time to refocus on his lordship. That Jesus is the king of all kings. That Jesus is equal parts divine and equal parts human. That Jesus in every way is the fullness of God. That Jesus was present in creation. That Jesus sits at the right hand of God. That he is the name above every other name. 
And Peter starts to see a glimpse of that. So he says, even though everything in my soul doesn't want to do what you call me to do, I will do it. That's someone that understands the lordship of Jesus in his life. I wonder if that's something we need to wrestle with more. You know, as you think about that question, I want to invite you to reflect on some other questions and see, is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Or is he just a picture that in some ways I can contain and allow to to influence and shape my life in ways that I choose? Here's a great opening question. How has knowing Jesus changed your life? How has it shaped who you are? How has it changed the way you treat others? Has it changed the way you spend your money? Has it changed your capacity to forgive? Has it changed the way that you make decisions? Now, if it hasn't changed any of those things in powerful ways, there's a chance that we're not seeing Jesus as the Lord of our lives. We're seeing him as something. But if he's not such a powerful reality within our lives that we say, Jesus, I know what you call me to do and to be. And even though it hurts, even though it requires energy, even though it requires strength and courage, because you call me to it, I will do it. When we see Jesus in that way, we begin to see a clearer, sharper image of who he actually is as the sovereign Lord. So Peter, Simon Peter, he somewhat begrudgingly, as we can kind of sense, says yes, and they go out. They go back to fishing. And I wondered what Peter was thinking in his mind. Probably something like, okay, Jesus, I recognize who you are. You're kind of a big deal because you say so. We're going to do this. But I imagine that Peter probably wasn't expecting very much. In fact, he was probably expecting another unsuccessful few hours of fishing. But because Jesus said, I'll do it, I'll do it. But here's what actually happened in verse 6. When they had done so, check this out, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. That's a lot of fish. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I'm not a first century fisherman, but if you've got such a large catch of fish that your nets are breaking, that as you're scooping it into the boat, there's so many that your boats began to sink, I'm guessing that this was a record-breaking catch on the Sea of Galilee. I'm guessing that none of the other fishermen in the surrounding fishing villages had ever experienced anything like this. It was crazy. You can imagine Simon Peter, the rest of the guys thinking, what, that is a lot. Of, there's still more fish coming. Okay, we've got a real problem right now. The boats are sinking. Can you imagine what Jesus might have been like as he was sitting in the boat? I, I kind of get the sense that he was probably chuckling to himself. Sitting on the edge of the boat, just kind of think, whoa, this, this miracle's even more crazy than I was expecting. There are fish everywhere. And, and, and the guys, they're, they're astonished by what's happening as the fish just keep coming. They keep coming. Simon Peter experienced something that he didn't believe for. And this is a picture of provision. 
And if we want to see Jesus for who he is, we need to refocus on his provision. On his provision. Now, Peter, he didn't expect it, did he? He thought the whole thing was a bad idea. He thought, Jesus, this, this is just bad. I don't want to do this. But I, I see who you are. I, I recognize your authority. You're standing right in front of me. So, okay, we're going to do it. But he wasn't expecting. And then what he experienced was something like no one had ever seen. These are career fishermen. And they experienced something that makes no sense as both of their boats are completely filled. You know, we need to come to understand what it means to expect provision from Jesus. You know, I've got a little 10-month-year-old son, and he's a, he's a lot of fun. He's starting to learn how to talk. And, 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 but, I, you know, when, when it starts, it's kind of like babbling, and it's like, is he saying dad, is he saying mum, or is he just making noises? I feel like he's been in that zone for a while. But, but the other day I got home from work, and my, my lovely wife showed me something. She picked up a banana, and Caleb looked at it, and he goes, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You know that old banana song? No, 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 no. I was like, he's almost got it. And then I kind of had to change the melody to make the make your body sing bit because it didn't fit into what he was saying. But, but he's kind of got this ability to talk now. And, and sure, it's slowly developing. It's, it's funny. Having a little child, it really is like having a puppy that slowly learns to talk. They kind of scamper around everywhere, look at you, start saying things. But, but one of the things that I've noticed as he continues to develop as a little person is now that, that obviously he has his dinner time and we feed him with a little spoon and different things. He can start to eat some things himself and he loves that time. But, but also what happens is whenever I'm eating, he looks at me a particular way and he looks up at me and it's like, And it's not his turn to eat. But what he's doing in that moment, he's expecting provision. He's saying, someone's eating food. My expectation is that I get fed as well. And sometimes he gets a little bit of what I'm eating. Sometimes it's not appropriate. But here's the thing. What does it mean for us to expect provision from Jesus? Now, this is something we've got to be careful with as we're forming a picture of who Jesus is because it doesn't just mean that all of the wants in my life I can expect that Jesus will provide for. That's not what this is about. That's not a picture of Jesus that says that that because I have Christ in my life, I'm going to be wealthy because really that's something that would be nice. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't provide for our greed. He provides for our need, most fully expressed in our need for a saviour for grace in our lives, for, for truth, for hope, for peace, that he is our provider. Do we see Jesus in that way? Do we expect provision in that way? Peter didn't. But do you? Do you expect that if Jesus invites you to live a life of purpose in him, do you expect his provision to bring you the strength, the courage to live that out? You know, I expect that Christ will bring that in my life. That when I choose to live my life for him, I expect that he will provide for me everything that I need to walk in that purpose. And I believe that for your life as well. But that doesn't matter because you have to believe it. You have to believe that whatever Christ calls me to, 
whether it's fishing or whether it's living a life of purpose in him, whatever that looks like in your context, that if he calls you to it, he will provide everything you need to be successful in that calling. That takes faith to believe. It takes a clear picture of who Christ is. Again, recognising his lordship and in his lordship over everything he can provide for me when I say, Jesus, I want to live in your purpose. Can someone say amen to that? Come on. It's truth for your life. Then the story continues. The guys, I'm assuming they get the boats to shore. I imagine they lost a few of the fish along the way. And here's Peter's response to this whole experience. In verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. That if we're going to continue to think, hey, what does it mean to refocus on our faith? We've got, to, we've got to get a clear picture of Christ's lordship in our lives. We've got to get a clear picture of his provision in our lives. But we've got to get a clear picture and refocus on my purpose in him. And this is what this story is all about coming out of Luke chapter 5. That Peter gets to that moment, he realises that sure he's been obedient to Christ, but he hasn't expected his provision. And he falls at his knees in repentance and says, Lord, I haven't had faith to believe. Just leave me alone. Walk away from me. I don't have what it takes. But Jesus says, no, get back up. In fact, I've got new purpose for your life. You're not going to be a fisherman anymore. You're going to fish for people. And as the story of Christianity unfolds, Peter becomes the foundation of the church throughout the centuries. God does something amazing in his life when Peter sees a clear picture of who Christ is, understands his provision, and begins to step out with a new sense of purpose. I love how this passage finishes. What happens? They get to the shore. Jesus gets Peter back on his feet. No, you're going to be a fisher of men. Your life has new value. And then what do they do with this miraculous catch of fish? They leave it all behind. They come in with the biggest catch of fish. There might have been other fishermen around still washing their nets. And they see these two boats overflowing with fish. Now, if you're a fisherman, to me, that, that's kind of when you go into bragging mode. And it's, like, it's not like, you know, I caught a fish that was this big. It's like, my boat is filled with fish. Come check this out. That's not what happened. Peter and all the others, they see that, they leave it all behind. Because say, that was associated with the things that mattered to me. Christ calls me to be associated with the things that matter to him. And so he walks away from that and he steps into Christ's purpose for his life. And I'm sure they didn't let the fish go to waste. I'm sure there was other fishermen that kind of came and enjoyed the, the fruits of that miracle. But here's the thing. Do you have a clear picture? Is there a crystal clear picture of how your life has 
purpose in Christ. Sure, I'm, I'm guessing that there's a, there's a general sense that, that, yeah, God's a part of my life, that, that I want to live my life for him in, in all those kind of general ways. But is there a crystal clear picture in your life of what Christ calls you to? You know, that's something that, that doesn't just pop into your life, into your mind, into your soul. It's something that you actually have to seek after. Something you have to chase after and say, God, I want my life to have purpose in you, purpose that goes beyond myself. That even if in myself I could achieve the, the very greatest things of anything, I'd trade it all to live out your purposes in my life because I see you with perfect clarity. I see who you are with perfect clarity. I recognize who you are. I believe in your provision that if I step out in that way to live a life of purpose in you, to live a life of adventure in you, I believe that you will provide everything I need as a man and woman of God to live my life in fullness in you. So earlier in the, in the, the message, I talked about those two kinds of focus. One is seeing something with clarity, an image with clarity. The other was that kind of focus that captures our attention and becomes a focal driving point in our lives. For, for a lot of us, there'll be a, a lot of different things that are that central point of drive. For a lot of us, it might be career or study or, or different things. But here's what I want to invite you to consider this morning. What would it look like if you began to see Jesus with clarity an image of clarity that captures the attention of your soul and you allowed that picture of who Jesus is to become that driving focal point of your life. What might change? What might be different? What miraculous thing might God do in you, through you? Can I pray for you this morning? Jesus, we thank you that you're here, that you're in this moment. And Lord God, I pray for, for each and every person gathered here today. Lord, I want to thank you that you invite them to have a life of significance in you. That you invite them to live a life of purpose in you. Jesus, I pray right now that in this moment, each one of us could see a focused picture of who you are as our Lord and as our Saviour, as the one that has authority over everything. Jesus, I pray that we could trust in your provision, that we could trust that when we say yes to you, that we, when, when we say yes to living out a life of purpose in you, that we can count on your provision to sustain it. Lord God, I pray that, that each person here, maybe over the next few weeks, would spend time with you, would discover what it is that you have for them with clarity. Maybe it's dreams, visions of the past that would come back to life within their souls. Lord God, I pray that you would do a work in this place this morning, that as you called Peter to go from where he was to step up and into who you were calling him to be, Jesus, I pray that each one of us would do that this morning. Lord God, I thank you that your presence is here in this moment. 
And Lord, as we share communion in just a few moments, I pray that this truth would sink a bit deeper. Be with us in this moment, we pray. Amen. As Phil has challenged us to refocus on Jesus' Lordship, to refocus on his provision, this morning I'd like to add a third one that we refocus on his sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us when he went to the cross. The fact that he was willing to go to provide that opportunity for you and for me to have a future, to have an eternal life. In a moment, we're going to have communion. We've got a little cracker and a little cup of juice. We take them each week as reminders of the broken body of Jesus on the cross and the blood that he shed for each one of us. This is an opportunity where we can pause and individually refocus on what that means to each one of us. So this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to partake of this little biscuit and this cup of juice as the ushers bring them forward. Take the biscuit in your own time, but I ask that you just hold the cup and we will drink that together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us. We didn't deserve it. And even now, in many ways, we don't deserve it. But we did it because he loved us. And because he wanted to find that way that give us that opportunity to have a future, to have eternal life by placing our faith in him and in you. And this morning as we partake of the bread and the cup, I just pray, Lord, that each one of us can refocus our lives and refocus our energy on you. And in this week ahead, we can live a life that will shine out the love of Jesus to every person that we come in contact. Father, we thank you for this opportunity in your name. Amen.